Welcome to the Mindfield Podcast. We are a performance psychology company who work alongside schools to improve student performance and well-being. Our aim is to discuss current psychological research in relation to education, reinforcing good practice and sharing techniques from the wider world of performance psychology. This episode welcomes the Mindfield Podcast's first guest, Paul Foster. As the Senior Vice Principal for Hayes Secondary School, Director of the Impact Teaching Schools Alliance, Teaching School Representative for the South East and South London, and a History and Politics teacher, Paul is right on the front line of education. He is extremely passionate about the learning, performance and well-being of young people, as well as the continued development of himself and the teachers around him. Paul's passion, insight and experience make for a great discussion. We hope you enjoy episode four, part one, a conversation with Paul Foster. Hello and welcome to the Mindfuel podcast. Uh, as ever, we've got myself, Steph and Ollie with me. He's just giving you a wave. Um, but today is very exciting. We've got our first guest on our podcast, Paul Foster. Hello, Paul. Hello. How are you feeling? All right? Yeah, not too bad. It feels a bit, it's a bit strange. Yeah. But I'm, first I'm sure podcast. First ever podcast. Um, so it would be great if you would introduce yourself first and your role in education and then we can go from there. Okay, so I am Senior Vice Principal at Hay School uh, in Bromley. I am also the director of our teaching school, the Impact Teaching School Alliance, and I am also the Teaching School Council representative for the South East and South London. And he's still walking up with that busy schedule. Yeah, just about. Uh, <laughs> just about. I've sat down now. Um, and a teacher, teacher of politics, but primarily history was where I tra- how I trained. So, yeah. Those, all how those long things. have you been teaching for? This, I was working this out the other day. This is my 20th year. Wow, sorry to do that. I've just I know. done that to yeah. you. Sorry about that. You have. Made me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> and then you moved to Hayes. Um, how long ago was that? And this is my 10th year at Hayes. Hayes is my third school. So I was at a school in Croydon for six years, four years at a school in Leatherhead, and then joined Hayes 10 years ago. Brilliant. Thank you very much for coming on to our podcast. It's a pleasure. We thought it'd be really great to um, have a conversation with you about child well-being, the well-being of the children in your school, uh, your views generally, and also something that we want to get onto a bit later, your own well-being, so teach well-being, how you look after yourself with all them sort of busy, busy things that you have to do as a teacher, let alone all your roles on top of that. But first of all, I just thought it would be great to start with a discussion uh, around the well-being of our young people in schools, and in particular this sort of mental health crisis we seem to find ourselves in. Uh, we know every day we turn the news on and there are stories or statistics, articles in newspapers about sort of the state of child mental health. I'd love to get your views on how it's being dealt with in schools, but also your opinion on its relationship with the modern sort of current climate, like namely so- things such as social media and um, stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, it's it's quite interesting, you know. If I, th- you know, reminding me as you have done that it's been twenty years that I've been doing this. Apologies. Um, it's a it's a very different world that we live in and that, that I work in. Um, you know, the the pressures on young people, the challenges that that they face in their day to day life, 
um, from the education system itself, from what the expectations are for the exams they sit, um, the qualifications that they need, the, the requirements to get the level of grade to, to progress, yeah. the, the cost of education beyond school and the pressures that that adds to children. Um, all of those things, you know, are significantly heightened. And alongside that, the world outside of, uh, of education has, has placed huge pressures and challenges in the, in the hands, in most cases, with smartphones and the like, uh, of young people that are of an entirely different nature to those when I was growing up and those when I first started teaching. So I think from the point of view of young people now, um, they live in a, in a world in which there are significantly more pressures and challenges that they face that test, stretch, uh, and in some cases break their, their mental health and well-being far more than was the case in the past. And I think that alongside that, you know, it's, it's, it's a big prominent feature of, uh, of the education world at the moment because as well as young people's mental health and well-being being of real importance, that all of those, those elements of successful education are founded upon children in schools being happy, mm. being you know in a, in a good state for learning, yep. having all of the other elements that are necessary to be you know the sponges for learning that they are when they're in a good place, yeah. um, and the services around the, ed the, the the edges of schools that look f look for and uh, support young people in uh, who are struggling with their well-being are, are stretched uh, to breaking point um, or have have shrunk. To being hard to access, uh, with very long waiting lists and the like. So, well-being for young people in education is, you know, significant at the moment. Um, and if you pair that alongside the wider world and well-being, as you know, uh, the well-being of teachers managing workload, dealing with you know the pressures of working in the public sector, helping young people uh, to achieve the, pr the pressures of that as well mm. as your your job roles and titles being that sort of helper of the young yeah um you know you, you you don't come into teaching unless you're compassionate about helping young people and not just to, to pass exams but to be you know happy and successful uh young people who go into the world uh, you know as, as active citizens as people who are going to contribute something positive themselves to society and if you care about that then that adds an additional layer of pressure to what you're trying to do. You're not just trying to educate, you're not just trying to help them academically, but you're trying to look after the whole child and provide, you know, the best platform for their future life. Um, and, you know, with that, alongside all the other pressures that education places on you, you know, the Ofsted inspection framework and, and, and the, the, the desire, you know, to find as many different ways as possible to judge schools with all the right intentions, you know, to make sure that yeah. schools are delivering for young people, but the accountability measures system um, and the Ofsted inspection system, you know, place huge pressures on schools and school leaders and teachers alongside all of those other elements. So, you know, the well-being uh, and uh, mental health of, of everyone in education, those providing it, uh, leading it, and those who are the recipients of it are probably, you know, uh, uh, you know significantly higher pressure level than they've ever been before in my uh, certainly in my working life experience i just i just want to take you back to the talking about social media just a question that was sort of going around in my mind as i was listening there do you one use social media and two see the benefit of it and have you got any sort of anecdotes or or day-to-day -day in school examples 
of how it can be used in positive ways? Yeah, um, I I do use social media to a certain extent. So I I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Um, I primarily um, sort of delineate between those two. So I see Facebook as friends, okay. family, um, and me, Paul Foster, not in a professional context. Yeah. Um, and I see Twitter as professional. Um, I I am f- I connect with people who I have uh, who I want to network with professionally, and I share in a professional context. I n- I will never put on uh, I never put on Twitter, you know, my feelings about Crystal Palace winning or losing, no. uh, or what I'm up to at the weekend, or photos. Then Benidorm uh, pictures are on things. Facebook yeah, only. Absolutely, they very much for that. And I'm much more uh, guarded about who I. You know, have as social media connections in Facebook because I do, I will share a rant about the outcome of you know, Brexit or, yeah. uh, or or Donald Trump's election, which I wouldn't do so much in a, a you know in a professional context. The reason I ask is just, you know, that is that is the word that a lot of people go to when you think about today's climate in terms of well-being. They it will be something that they think about they'll go social media it's changed the world mm. um, and often it gets a bad rap um, and I understand that it does bring a lot of pressures um, but yeah I just wondered whether whether you think there's any benefit for the children in terms of it's something that we need to use as a tool in the way in in the right way mm. rather than I, I yeah no is I it the education <coughs> of it or definitely you know I I, th- I think that the you know it's 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 the same with any form of interaction between human beings mm. there are pitfalls to it um, and and things to be aware of and social conventions uh, and things that you need to think about and and understand to be able to engage in it in a productive and constructive way. And there are massive advantages and benefits that they bring. And most of the issues that come in my experience with social media, both in an educational setting uh, and in a real life setting, come when those aren't either understood or abided by, or they're not moderated. You know, it's uh, it's 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 you know over indulgence, over immersion in a social media world at the expense of a real world interactions that where the dangers come. It's not being able to. appreciate understand and switch uh, and step away from the the ease with which people can make negative commentary on a you know in black and white yeah and the permanence and and the the, you know the impact that that has on young people particularly um you know when it comes to cyber bullying and using social media for those negative things they hit hard um but you know you can switch off you can walk away you can defriend you can report you can do all sorts of things so i think a lot of it is about empowering people with the knowledge to be able to use it in a constructive way that works for them and making sure that they that they see it as exactly what it is it's a form of communication that's all it is yeah. it can be brilliantly powerful you know it's it's reunited me with friends who live in different parts of the world um who i went to school with who i haven't seen in for for years and allowed those positive interactions to, to to happen, and in some cases, then to meet socially for the first time in a long, long time. It's allowed me to connect uh, intellectually through Twitter, and you know, as I said, where I, which I use in a professional context, with people who bring knowledge, intellectual curiosity, experience, 
bring research you know to my doorstep yeah um that i would never have had you know never have had before you know it, it wouldn't have been so easy it, you know and i would have had to sort of you know expend endless hours effort and energy you know on you know using even even since the the, the you know, dawn of the internet as a tool um, but that social media brings to my doorstep because of the people that I connect with, why I connect with them, and w our shared interests and passions. So all of those things are hugely beneficial and can be for, for every child. Um, but what they're often doing is they're throwing themselves headfirst into a social media world where they aren't equipped with the tools and the understanding as to what it is in relation to all of their interactions socially. And I, I just wonder whether... Who's you know whose responsibility for them learning to use it in that way is it is it something that is needs to be in the curriculum at school or mm -hmm. is that that's something that falls to a parent well, I hope you don't mind me saying you're a parent yourself to no no to no no in fact you know when you said have I got any anecdotes about it probably more of my anecdotes for that you know come from being a parent yeah um, you know my experience of seeing you know my children. Uh, especially my eldest son when he first got a phone and therefore could be part of WhatsApp groups, uh, you know, and, and could experience interacting with his peers over, you know, on a mobile phone. S you know, he's not immersed in Facebook or Twitter, but, you know, WhatsApp, you know, is something that he and his, they have various groups uh, that they're engaged in in relation to that. Um, and, you know, those... That kind of brings to me as, you know, I feel I have a real responsibility as a parent yeah. in the first instance to make sure I am aware, understand, and I'm helping my, my children um, moderate what they do, understand what they do. And I have, there have been times as a parent where I've, uh, my son's received communication, you know, via, via social media. Um, that I've helped him respond to because he hasn't had the words, he hasn't had the understanding, yeah. and he's wanted to just to say, okay, or in fact, as he would put it, K, and I've said, you can't just say that. You know, no. what someone said to you in that context requires a better response than that, and, you know, you he's needed help with that. Yeah. So I think that there is a heavy responsibility for parents and a lot of it is about good parenting. You wouldn't take a child into a new social environment physically and not prep them for what they need to be aware of and think about in doing that. You know, you don't take the child into any kind of social setting as a parent without helping them understand it and afterwards talking to them about what it was like and how they felt and, and what they experienced and giving them the opportunity to talk about it. And it's exactly the same. It's just, a, a you know, it's a virtual social space that you're entering. So I think there is a significant responsibility for parents. But I do think, you know, there is, there is one for, p for schools as well, you know, that we, we encourage um, the knowledge, you know, networking opportunities that, that, that the internet and other forms of, of media engagement give students. And we have a responsibility to make sure that they're aware of the pitfalls of doing that. And, you know, their interactions with each other, uh, you know, in the physical space of, of a school are continued beyond that via social media and so we have a responsibility to protect uh, and and inform them you know in those in those communications as well it does get very hard though you know at what point do we police the cyberbullying that happens in their front room yeah. to their other person's bedroom mm. you know how do we do that and it can be you know when it's brought to our attention we do all we can but there is a it's a requirement of a partnership of parent and school to really make the impact
just to carry on the discussion around social media, how much of the worry about it do you think comes from us as adults having not grown up with the technology and therefore not really knowing uh, the impact it might have versus, and then sort of us putting that worry on children versus it actually coming from the children themselves? Yeah, I think I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? I, you know, I remember quite some time ago uh, being introduced to the sort of concept that young people growing up now are digital natives, uh, and that we are digital tourists or digital immigrants in a sense. In that, um, you know, we've learnt to develop our social interactions to explore and 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 live in the world without that technology and that it's slowly become built into our existence and we've learned to use it and in some cases learned badly actually in some cases some of the worst abusers of mobile phones uh, you know talking to screens rather than to people are, are grown-ups the reality you know that sort of that idea um, you know that we have taken a lot of the social conventions that we would see in our world and tried to apply them to, to digital technology to social media and the like um, it brings with it those anxieties um, that you know that those growing up with it may not share, and so you know there is that really difficult balance between us making sure that we educate, develop young people with a real mind about you know the importance of social convention without enforcing our own anxieties upon them about them. Because you know whatever way that you might want to address it, the most important thing I think when you when you explore that 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 sphere of the world is the recognition that while there's a distance between you and the other person on the end of a, a of a phone or a, or a computer screen um, that you always remember that there is still a human being at the other side of that um, and that you know therefore the social conventions whatever they are that you would have the reason we have those are to protect ourselves from hurt and harm you know that that's why we do wh why we have those so people don't feel hurt or harmed by making the wrong decision saying the wrong thing acting in the wrong way uh, you know when when they don't understand how to behave or equally doing you know being um, hurt by the, the the responses of somebody else that's said in a different setting a different context and I think that you know that that sort of joint balance of making sure we don't project anxiety but at the same time that as as well as not projecting anti anxiety we do make sure young people are aware that it is a human interaction that while the screen takes creates the distance the human interaction is there and to get anecdotal in relation to my children you know i i say to my, i find myself more often than not saying to my son the ones the people who are in the room with you have to come in front of the ahead of the people who aren't in the room with you you know if 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 i if you're there with your friends and i'm the one on the phone then I want you to, to, you know, to say, that and you know, I, I'm sure he's going to curse, man. I'm going to regret saying it to him. But if I've texted you, I don't want you to immediately stop talking to your friend who's there with you in your room and say, I've got to respond to this text from my dad. You know, I want you to finish what you're saying and then say, can I just, you know, I've just got to, you know, tell my dad what time I'm getting home. Yeah. You know, so th you know that kind of thing. That the person, the, hu the human being, the interaction is human in both ways. But it's about making sure that people don't lose sight of that. But like I, I do agree that there's, you know, we might translate or transmit, project anxiety onto young people, um, you know, from a position of our own ignorance and the extent to which we aren't necessarily the best proponents of, of you know, the technology and the social media in particular. So just moving that on to to 
mental health and mm. sort of well-being in general, there is, with the findings and, as I said, the current climate, there is an issue mm. around it. Would you agree with that? In Definitely. Sort of, yeah. So, I mean, social media, as we've discussed, could be and is sometimes pointed out as a, as a possible uh, issue. But it would be great to hear some of the things that are being done about it because I know that so many people, so many schools and organisations uh, are acting um, mm. on, on the things they see, the things they hear, the statistics that are out. But also what you feel and your opinion and your experience needs to be done. Yeah, I think I think a lot of uh, schools have recognised that they can't leave it to chance for young people to to be informed and have the understanding that they need and be given the the tools to be able to to protect their own mental health and well-being from the threats that are there uh, and the challenges that they face. And and you know, while we've talked quite len- in a lengthy way about social media. Uh, as a factor in that, I think it is, as I said at the beginning, it's it's just one element of a whole raft of things that young people have to face in their life. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and uh, there are times when social media is, is the saviour, you know, and I think we forget that sometimes, where the technology actually really helps young people and their well-being. People express their emotions, their feelings, the, fi- the fact they're finding life difficult to their peers, to their friends in such a way that they might not have had a- available to them in the past. Um, that you know can be a really positive and constructive thing and so from the point of view of an education you know there are times when for us we know about young people's mental health and well-being far more than we would have done were it not for first of all them having that outlet with which to share it and their peers being aware of the need for support and and coming to us and saying you know this is how I found out about it they said something on whatsapp or facebook last night I think that you you know that they need some help or I'm worried about them. You know, so there are some real positives about that and I think you asked earlier what are the positive things? I think there are, you know, new, new n- a number of educational uh, benefits to engagement in in you know the online world. Um but there are also, you know, some that are tied to mental health and well-being in a positive way. Access to, you know, advice, guidance, support, um, you know, things to protect yourself. Uh, that are out there and that can be promoted through social media because it's the platform students and young people are engaging with. So it's being used, you know, to promote sensible attitudes to your own mental health and well-being. People are talking much more openly than they've ever done before about their mental health and well-being. I, you know, I, you know, I talk about 20 years ago in the educational world that I joined there. I can't imagine myself as a young teacher in his 20s talking to people like you about my mental health and well-being and what I do about it. I don't, you know, I can't imagine feeling confident to talk about ups and downs with young people that I've personally experienced at the front of an assembly, which I've done, you know, and I've talked about others. Is that something that's you think quite empowering to the children? You sharing your own experiences, and you're saying you feel more comfortable than maybe you used to. Is that something that is really beneficial to them? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a time and a place for it, obviously, yeah. you know, um, but. I think, and uh, you know, I think it, it goes it goes well beyond schools. I think you know one of the things that's really positive in 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 the wider media is the extent to which role models and 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 figures that are well known in society are much more openly and honestly talking about their own experience of mental health challenges and how they manage and you know, their well being. But I do think that um, that it's definitely 
um, something that young people nowadays are much more able to talk about both their own and other people's and I think it is being led by a much more open and honest um, attitude towards it from from teachers uh, and from you know from professionals in education uh, you know and as I said you know the fact that there are people in education in classrooms in in assemblies talking about mental health without a stigma without feeling like it's something to be embarrassed ashamed about and talking about it from a constructive way about well-being about trying you know what the, you know that we've talked many times before about the importance of of putting fences at the top of a cliff rather than ambulances at the bottom you yeah, know that kind of proactive that, side of things. that need to 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 get in there early before people's mental health and well-being is compromised by the challenges that they face and giving them the tools the understanding the self-awareness to both engage with open and honest reflection on their mental health and well-being and have tools and strategies and approaches to help manage it um, you know that's something that I know that that Mindfuel and, and in, in my dealings with them and our school share uh, as a core you know aim to provide young people with those those tools that are that act as fences at the top of the cliff rather than the you know be there sweeping up the damage that's done um, with the with the ambulances at the bottom so what about w what direction you feel like uh, we need to move in in terms of at school um, to, to further support the well-being of our young people? Well, I think, I think that we are, we are learning all the time about you know, ways to develop to support our own mental health and well-being. Um, and I think that what's really positive is the open way in which um, you know, the world of education and the wider world are talking about mental health and well-being in a way that they've not done before. And we started by talking about the extent to which it's it, you know the pressures are there, the challenges are there more so than ever before for both young people and those leading and working in education. Um, but I think that those steps forward, while it's important to remove the stigma of talking about it and the and allow people to actively seek support, what we've talked about before is about giving people and taking a proactive role in giving people the tools that will support them in managing their mental health and well-being from a proactive sense. So not waiting for the crisis to occur, but enabling young people to reflect, to be self-aware and to have strategies to overcome challenges before they become significant threats to their mental health and well-being. And so the work that that we've done working with you and with other organisations in, in providing students with strategies and approaches to address the challenges that they face, um, engage with mindfulness and other, other approaches like that. Um, that. That I think is a powerful way in which schools can, can help to, to both lead the way and reflect the wider society's commitment to a much more pro you know, constructive and proactive approach to mental health and well-being you know, that generationally is light years away uh, from the, the, the approach that was taken, you know, you know, when we were children, when I was a child. You guys are quite a bit younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you that there aren't too many years in it. Thank you very much for listening um, to the first part of our conversation with Paul Foster. If you have any questions or comments on anything we discussed, you can get us on Twitter or Facebook using the handle at mindfuelperform. The second part of our conversation with Paul 
focuses on teacher well-being, things that he does to make sure that his well-being is where it should be and the tools and techniques that he shares with his staff both in school and out of school. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.